Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, your goodness and grace. We're glad to be able to uh, be together for a short time. Uh, We are uh, in the midst of talking about uh, uh, this matter of worship, and uh, we pray that you'll be pleased to bless us as we uh, continue our discussion this morning. Uh, We ask, Father, that you'll uh, be pleased to be with us uh, in your uh, gracious uh, presence to open our eyes, open our hearts, uh, give us uh, a good understanding of of uh, what you are about in uh, our uh, worship of you. Uh, so bless us, we pray. Uh, to this end, uh, we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Okay, starting uh, out again with uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and uh, verse 16. Uh, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among you and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Uh, I've been working on this uh, proposition that I have at the top of the whiteboard here. Public worship is an entering into God's presence and into heaven. And my argument is that if I can sustain the reality of this proposition, then the idea that God regulates worship is also a reality. Because uh, it goes without saying that God regulates how uh, we enter heaven and uh, how we enter his presence. Uh, he, he determines uh, those kinds of things. So if worship then is uh, an entering into God's presence and an entering into heaven, then uh, what falls out is that God regulates our worship. Uh, this is the idea. And... Uh, 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 I'm uh, working on the idea of the temple uh, uh, used by the, the Apostle Paul. And uh, Paul's uh, idea here is that we are the churches uh, assembled for public worship. We are the temple of the living God. Right? And, uh, of course, a temple is a, a special uh, dwelling place of God uh, in the Spirit. Uh, If you look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, a little review again here. At the end of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says in verse 19, So then uh, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ uh, Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom... The whole structure being built together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So the the church is being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And where we most fully 
experience this and uh, where we should most uh, fully appreciate this is, is as we gather together as God's people for the purpose of worship. Uh, this is an entering, uh, entering into God's special presence. This is the idea. Uh, we are the special dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And uh, so uh, we, we ought to uh, recognize that, that this is the case. Now, uh, at the uh, end of the class last week, uh, we, we had questions with regards to two other texts. And so I want to go back uh, quickly and uh, uh, connect with these two other texts. The first is uh, 1 Corinthians 6. And uh, uh, the question is, in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, is this the same... Uh, is this the same idea that Paul is presenting in Second uh, Corinthians chapter six? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, not quite the same idea. In First uh, Corinthians uh, six, Paul is talking about our individual bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit. So we have a little bit different concept in First uh, uh, Corinthians six. So you, you can look at First Corinthians six eighteen. Uh, Paul says, "Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a uh, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body." And uh, Paul is talking about us as individual persons here. Uh, it seems to me that that's. Uh, quite clear. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So Paul is talking about uh, your individual bodies, and uh, uh, one of the ways that you desecrate uh, your body is uh, with sexual sin. This would be the idea that Paul is getting at here. So it's not quite the same concept that we find in 2 Corinthians 6 where Paul is talking about the church being the temple of the living God. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, the same question and in First Corinthians three, Paul has in mind the church body as he's speaking, and I want to start at verse five in First Corinthians three. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And uh, what Paul is after here is factions within the body. Uh, uh, I'm a follower of Paul. No, I'm a follower of Apollos. I'm a follower of Roy. I'm a, I'm a follower of James. You see, this, this kind of thing. And uh, factions within the body. This is what uh, Paul is after uh, here. Uh, and uh, dropping down to verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder. See, he's talking now about what? Building the church. 
the church body. And he doesn't want divisions in the body. He wants, he wants a unified body. Uh, a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Each, uh, let each one take care how he builds upon it. In other words, uh, Paul is issuing a little bit of a warning here. Uh, take care how you build the church as the body of Christ. It's, this is important, and Paul is, is, uh, is issuing a, a little bit of a warning uh, here. Uh, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with silver, gold, precious stones, wood, hay, uh, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will dec- disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. See, he's talking about building the church uh, here. Uh, If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Uh, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, uh, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So, so Paul is saying, look, the church is the temple of the living God. Watch how you build. Make sure you build on the proper foundation, and make sure you build properly on that foundation. And so, uh, Paul is back to this uh, idea again of uh, the church being uh, the special dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Uh, so, I uh, wa- wanted to go back and uh, 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 clarify some of what we ended with last week. Okay, uh, uh, the other thing that I ended up quickly uh, last week was uh, uh, this idea of the church not only being uh, the temple of God, but the church being an embassy. And uh, the, the word embassy is kind of interesting. Because uh, originally, uh, the word embassy referred to a group of people who came from a foreign land and visited uh, uh, another country. It referred to the group of people that came from uh, this foreign land and uh, visited another country. And uh, like the word church, the word embassy began to take on the meaning of the place or the building where the embassy met or where the embassy lived. Follow me? Okay. Where the people uh, lived. Uh, just like the church has taken on uh, the idea of a building, but, but the church is actually the people. And uh, that's the idea, of course, uh, in the New Testament. And I had a good friend uh, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church when uh, I served a congregation there who uh, refused to refer to the building in which... Uh, the uh, congregation met as the church. He said, it's the church's building. 
<laughs> this is how he always uh, referred to it. And he, he wanted uh, to get the terminology straight. Well, uh, I think uh, sometimes he was carrying it a bit far uh, and, and pushing the envelope. Uh, but, uh, of course, you get the idea. Uh, so uh, an embassy, it turns out, is uh, a group of people that comes from a foreign land and uh, visits or uh, represents that foreign land in uh, a certain country. And, uh, of course, uh, in uh, Ephesians 5.20, it's 6.20, I'm sorry, uh, Paul says, I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. And uh, elsewhere, Paul calls himself an ambassador. In other words, he's a representative from a foreign land. The foreign land is heaven. He's a representative of heaven in the world. And uh, what does uh, the Apostle Paul say about uh, Christians, about uh, individuals like you and me? He says of you and me, your citizenship is where? In heaven. In heaven. You are citizens of heaven. And uh, because you are citizens of heaven, uh, as it turns out now, you are representatives of heaven in this world. This is what's taking place. And so as uh, you and I gather together uh, for worship, especially on the Lord's Day, when we gather together for worship, we are an embassy of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are representatives of heaven in this world. This is how we uh, ought uh, principally to view ourselves. And uh, uh, unfortunately, too often, uh, we, are, we view ourselves as, no, I'm a Purdue grad. Uh, I'm an, no, I'm an IU grad. No, I'm from Indianapolis. And we root ourselves in this world uh, where actually uh, we should understand root and branch, we are connected to heaven. We're adopted children of God. We've been brought into a new family and our citizenship is in heaven. And uh, as a result, uh, when we gather together, uh, we are this embassy uh, in heaven. And you know this is the case, that when uh, you uh, visit an embassy uh, from another country uh, in the United States, when you visit an embassy and you step uh, onto the grounds of that embassy, uh, suppose you're, you're uh, visiting the uh, Chinese embassy. Well, what are you doing? You are standing on Chinese territory. That's the idea of the embassy. Uh, 
And uh, legally, uh, this is how these things are approached. And when someone uh, comes to the United States uh, uh, who has been persecuted in a foreign land and they flee to the U.S. Embassy and they seek asylum in the U.S. Embassy, uh, uh, when they enter that embassy, uh, even though that embassy may, may be surrounded by foreign territory, they are on U.S. territory. Uh, that's how uh, uh, this is legally understood. And uh, uh, this is how we should understand it uh, today, uh, you see. Where are we? When we come together uh, as God's people, as the temple of the living God, the special dwelling place of God in the Spirit, you and I are uh, God's embassy uh, in this world. And the territory uh, that we occupy is a little piece of heaven. This is why... Uh, we say when we come to worship on the Lord's Day, it's to be a taste of heaven. Uh, this is the idea. The world may be all around us, uh, but the idea of public worship is now we enter into uh, the special dwelling place of God in the Spirit, and we are an embassy of heaven and we are, as I put it here, and I like to say it, uh, we're an outpost of heaven in this world. What an amazing concept this is. And uh, it, it's a privilege. This is, this is what we have to, myself included, get through our beanie brains. So I used to say to my kids, uh, years ago when they were uh, small. I said, if you get those two brain cells uh, working together that are between your ears, you might amount to something. And this is what we have to do. We have to get it in our beanie brains what we actually are. An outpost of heaven. And if this is the case... see. See, now, now I'm, uh, uh, you may perceive it already. Uh, already I'm picking away at, uh, w without saying it, I'm picking away at the whole idea of contemporary worship and the church linking with the world to attract people and, and this kind of thing. I'm already I'm picking, uh, starting to pick away at uh, some of those ideas uh, w with this biblical idea that we're an outpost of heaven and uh, that when we come together, we have the privilege of uh, coming into the special, gracious, loving presence of the living God. If any of you have any uh, uh, books at home by the Puritans, look up... Uh, uh, the concept of the gracious presence of God. Because you'll find it. Yeah. Well, you may have to do some rooting around because a lot of those old books don't have indexes. <laughs> so, uh, you, you, might, you might have to uh, see if you can get a digital copy and, and, and look it up that way. Uh, but, but the whole idea of the gracious presence of God. God is everywhere. But when we come together for worship, 
And the call to worship is read. Enter into, uh, God says, enter into His presence. Uh, what's happening is we're being called into the special, gracious presence of the living God. And uh, so it's different than the world. Uh, last week, uh, I mentioned uh, the fact that uh, the church getting together uh, is not like the Kiwanis Club getting together. Uh, the church getting together uh, it, it is not like uh, some other civic organization, the Chamber of Commerce, getting together. Uh, the church is not like uh, the local PTA getting together. See, in each of these uh, circumstances, uh, they might uh, sing some songs. Get together, the PTA gets together, the kids, the kids might uh, uh, sing some songs and, uh, for the audience. There might be a uh, presentation that's made, a talk that's given. Okay? And uh, sometimes we can uh, get the idea that, well, the church is just kind of like that. Uh, but the distinctive of the church is that of the special, gracious presence of God in the midst of the people. That's one of the great differences. And uh, uh, again, this is what we have to uh, begin to uh, understand. Okay? So far, so good. Questions or comments? Okay, David. You mentioned First uh, Peter 2. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, this is uh, 1 Peter 2, uh, 4 and 5. Uh, uh, it's quite striking, isn't it? When, when Peter uh, uh, speaks about this, uh, the hook is what? The temple. The idea of the temple. This is where he goes. This is the connection that Peter is making. Uh, the idea of the temple. So, so we're in the same ballpark uh, as the Apostle Paul, uh, as he speaks about, we are the temple of the living God. Now, uh, this other text, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Okay, this is a great text, but it is usually misquoted or, or quoted in uh, an improper context. Not, you know, not trying to impute any difficulty here, but, but this, is, this is normal. Uh, and when you look up this text in the original context, uh, the context of when two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst, is the context of discipline. The context of discipline. And that's important. Okay, that's important. Uh, but 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 it's a little bit different slant 
on uh, what we're talking about uh, in, in these classes. Uh, so uh, I just encourage you to, to look that up and, and look up the context there. Okay, Claudia. Uh, okay, the question is, I have difficulty with my premise. So what else is new? Uh, public worship is an entering into God's presence and uh, an entering into heaven. And uh, th- this, is, this is why uh, I, I bring up this whole idea of the embassy and the idea of the embassy. Uh, that uh, uh, when you enter an embassy, you enter the territory of the foreign power. This is the idea of an embassy. And again, uh, I'll use the analogy of uh, someone in a foreign land uh, who's uh, been persecuted, say, persecuted for their faith, and they flee to the uh, American embassy and uh, to seek asylum. And when they enter that embassy, even though that embassy might be in Afghanistan or in Russia or in China or uh, wherever it might be, when they enter that embassy, they are on U.S. territory. That's the idea of an embassy. And uh, that territory is protected. See? That, that uh, territory is protected by a contingent, uh, usually, of Marines. An infringement of that territory is defended as an attack on the United States of America. I mean, that's how, uh, that's how it's viewed. And uh, uh, similarly, uh, you see, with uh, uh, the United States uh, embassies in the United States of America. And so it's the same concept. Uh, we are, see, understanding what Paul is saying, we are an embassy of heaven, and we are citizens of heaven, and gathered together as God's people, we are in the territory of heaven. I think this is, this is what Paul is teaching us. You know, it's strange to our ears. I grant that. I grant that. And uh, I've had uh, uh, students at the seminary say to me, well... Uh, <laughs> How do you teach this? How do you get people to understand this in the church? I said, you have to teach it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. This is what, what has to happen. Because, uh, it's sad to say, but nevertheless, we have not been taught to think in this way. Another hand. Do we have a couple hours? <laughs> uh, uh, two quick things, okay? Uh, uh, part of your question is, if I understand it correctly, about the context in Second uh, Corinthians of uh, chapter six. And uh, part of your question is, how does this uh, connect with the whole idea of marriage? Am I correct? The whole idea of marriage is that it's to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. That, that's part of the idea of marriage, that uh, you and I are in a covenant relationship with God, 
And marriage is a covenant relationship with God. And Paul is simply utilizing marriage, and the Bible is utilizing marriage, uh, as a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Okay, that, uh, that's one aspect of it. So, uh, a, a lot can be said there. Look now, if you would, at Second uh, Corinthians. Uh, this is an interesting aspect about the text. Uh, the text in Second Corinthians chapter 6 that I'm referring to is a text uh, that's kind of set out uh, in, in a parenthetical way. In other words, uh, the Apostle Paul is in the middle of a discussion, and then he goes off, and then he comes back <laughs> uh, uh, to his uh, uh, original discussion. And, and the best way for me to, uh, to show you this is to look at, first of all, look at Second uh, Corinthians 6 and verse 11. Uh, you see, Paul says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You have not restricted us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Uh, in return, I speak as, uh, to you as children. Widen also uh, your hearts. And uh, uh, then, in verse 14, he launches off uh, in, a, in a little bit different direction. Uh, do you not uh, do not be unequally yoked, okay, with unbelievers. Uh, now uh, look at First uh, Corinthians seven, chapter two. Paul uh, returns again uh, to where he left off uh, in Second uh, uh, Corinthians six eleven uh, through thirteen. Uh, notice verse two in chapter seven. Make room for us in your hearts. See, he's back to the same theme that he left off. Uh, make room for, uh, make room in your hearts for us. We have uh, wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. And uh, so, the, so this piece that we're looking at uh, is, in a sense, set off by itself in the book of Second Corinthians. And because it's set off by itself the way it is in the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, we shouldn't have too much of a, a difficulty in, in dealing with it uh, uh, as such. And uh, th this is part of what's happening uh, in the book there. Uh, okay, uh, a, a, a little technical uh, maybe, uh, but uh, uh, this is the case. All right. Uh, I, I want to move on to what I've got on this uh, other uh, blackboard. Well, it's actually not a blackboard, is it? He, he must be colorblind or something. <laughs> and uh, I've given you a timeline here. Adam, Moses, David, Solomon, first coming of Christ, second coming of Christ. Uh, the time between Adam and Moses, the time between Moses and David, the time between David and Solomon, the time between Solomon and the first coming of Christ, uh, the, uh, the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, and then heaven. All right? Uh, this is the idea. And uh, it's quite striking when you do a study along this line. 
in the period between Adam and Moses, uh, worship was conducted uh, uh, around various altars in various places. So we're talking about the manner of worship and the place of worship. The manner of worship was very simple. Uh, It was uh, burning offerings on an altar, and the altar was in various places. And and you can uh, track, for example, where Abraham went and built various altars. Uh, So worship was simple uh, at various altars in various places. There's no evidence at all that there was any kind of music, instrumental or vocal, that was associated with the sacrifices around these altars. All right? Uh, Then we have Moses. Of course, when Moses uh, comes, God uh, commissions uh, the tabernacle. Uh, Exodus 25 and verse 8 that we looked at uh, last week. Uh, Tell the people to construct a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And of course, the sanctuary was the tabernacle. So in this case now, uh, between Moses and David, uh, during this period of time, uh, sacrifices uh, were to be conducted on one altar, the altar in the tabernacle. But the tabernacle traveled around. So uh, the uh, uh, worship was around one altar, uh, but in various places. All right? So far, so good? I'm not trying to trick you. <laughs> Honest, I'm not trying to trick you. We come to the time of David, and uh, David, by the command of God, introduces instrumental music uh, to uh, the worship of God. Okay, now I, now I, I do have to back up. Uh, because uh, there were uh, two instruments that were commissioned by God uh, 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 under Moses. Two silver trumpets. And the, the silver trumpets were blown not uh, as accompaniment uh, to the sacrifices, uh, but as a signal that the sacrifices were going to be conducted. All right. Uh, that was their purpose. They, they were a, a signal. Uh, so, uh, under David, David introduces uh, harps and lyres and cymbals. And uh, David also introduces uh, the use of psalms. And uh, this is through the prophets by the command of God. Alright? Going slowly here. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, there was a change that occurred in worship here. uh, For sure. Big change. Big time change. Uh, Solomon comes along and uh, under Solomon, the temple is built. And so part of what happens is uh, uh, one altar, uh, but the tabernacle does not travel around. It's one altar in one location. This is the idea. And the people had to come 
to the temple, had to come to uh, uh, the place of worship, which was the temple, and uh, the one altar, uh, which was uh, in Jerusalem. Okay? Uh, and uh, the, the singing around the altar with the psalms and the use of musical instruments continues. Uh, uh, under the era with Solomon. We come to Christ, and uh, Christ uh, uh, predicts the destruction of the temple. Everything's, everything changes uh, at this point. And uh, uh, we have the New Testament church. Now, uh, the striking thing that occurs here is that uh, there's no longer instrumental music associated with worship, uh, but there continues to be uh, the use of uh, sacred song. Uh, and uh, I would argue the use of the psalms. Okay? Uh, so far, so good. For some of us. <laughs> Uh, and then Christ comes a second time, and now there there comes another profound change. So, uh, one of the profound changes that occurs at the uh, first coming of Christ with regard to worship is that uh, during the time of the temple, uh, the, uh, the sacrifices and the assembly of God's people is principally uh, with the temple. Okay, synagogue. I'll, I'll talk about the synagogue uh, later. Uh, but it's, it's principally worship in one place. And in Deuteronomy chapter 12, uh, the, uh, the prophet Moses, God through the prophet Moses, uh, says that when the people come into the pr uh, promised land, uh, that they will find the place where they are to worship and where the temple is going to be built. And this is what they do. Now... Uh, in this era with Christ, uh, there are a multiplicity of places of worship, right? Big change uh, in this regard because there are congregations of uh, the church in uh, many different locations. Now, uh, when we come to heaven, uh, a dramatic uh, thing occurs because what is the picture that we see in heaven? One place, back to one place of worship, right? Uh, the people of God are gathered around the throne. Myriads and tens of thousands gathered around the throne to worship the Lamb. Uh, so, uh, over the course of history, there are changes that take place with regard to worship. No doubt that this is the case. And over the course of history, there are God, these are God ordained changes in worship that take place. In each circumstance, it's a God ordained shift in worship that takes place. We have to understand that this is the case. And uh, part of the point of this is for us to understand uh, that individuals 
among the people of God are responsible to maintain the standards of worship ordained by God in the era in which they live. Follow me? Individuals, see, whether it's in the time of Moses or David or Solomon, individuals are required to maintain the standards of worship prescribed by God in the era in which they live. Let me illustrate it this way. Moses was a prophet. No doubt that this is the case. And suppose Moses came along and said, you know, I see looking down into the future that David introduces song and musical instruments to worship. Man, that'd be cool. I think it'd be a great idea for us to go ahead. Moses saying this now. Moses is saying, I think it'd be great. It'd be cool for us to introduce musical instruments to the worship of God in the tabernacle. And what do you suppose God would have said? Na, 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 na. <laughs> I didn't tell you to do that. Right? This would have been the case. The point being that Moses was responsible and the people of God during this period were responsible to maintain the standards of worship ordained by God in this era in which they live. And uh, uh, the same would be true uh, during the time of Solomon. Uh, suppose. Suppose the priest during the time of Solomon would say, you know, we've got all of this stuff that we have to do. These washings and these rituals and uh, all of this equipment that we have to haul around and you know, all the, the bloodletting that's going on and all this, this thing. You know, Worship during the time of Moses was a lot more simple. Let's get rid of these Levitical choirs. Let's get rid of these instruments. And let's just go back in time to the simplicity of worship during the time of Moses. What would God's response have been? No, 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 no. You are responsible to maintain the standard of worship ordained by me in the time in which you live. Same principle here. What do we like to do? We like to go back to this time of Solomon and David and resurrect the instrumentation that was utilized in worship at that time. Or, we like to look ahead to heaven. Anybody been to heaven in this? I mean, where, where is Claudia? Now we're, we're throwing. <laughs> so, we haven't passed into this 
this uh, time yet. So, wouldn't it be great if we could, in, in our day, worship like uh, the angels worship uh, in heaven? So, might be, but uh, uh, we haven't been there yet, and we don't really understand all that's taking place uh, there. And it's not up to us to incorporate things from the future into our present age with regard to worship. You and I are responsible to maintain the standards for worship we have in our age before God. This has always been the case. And I think it's helpful for us to understand this. Now, here's one of the things that the Apostle Paul is doing. He's saying, we are the temple of God. Paul is linking the church and the temple this is where Paul is going with this linkage, the church and the temple. And uh, uh, there are certain ramifications, and we've seen uh, some of the ramifications already to this linkage. Uh, one of the ramifications is the special uh, presence of God in His temple, which is the church. And uh, uh, another ramification uh, of this linkage is is the fact that in the temple there was stated there were stated times of worship and there was a stated practice of worship and in the church today you see we would say the same thing there are stated times of worship and there's a stated practice of worship and uh, uh, this this is part of the connection uh, that uh, we're going to uh, proceed to make, all right, uh, that we want to go there. All right, I took up all the time myself. Uh, let's have a little word of prayer. Uh, Lord, thank You for uh, Your goodness and grace. Thank You that uh, You are pleased to uh, bless us. Uh, as we uh, come to our time of worship this morning, we pray that uh, we might... Uh, enter into Your presence with thanksgiving and into Your courts with praise. We uh, pray, Father, that we might uh, be conscious of the fact that we enter into Your special, gracious presence. And we pray that we might look to You to speak to us, to uphold us, and to encourage us. Bless us uh, to this end, we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.